You are listening to sermon audio from Fort Myers Community Church. For more information about how to get involved in the life of this church family, please visit www.fmcc.life. often feel very chaotic. Um, so when I say the word peace, what comes to your mind? The word peace, what, what do you think of? Like what, what does that conjure up? What kind of a picture does that conjure up in your mind? I know for me, um, I see myself sitting on a beach in a cabana, um, in an all-inclusive resort, uh, yeah, waves crashing, um, pina colada in hand, uh, kid, my kids playing in Florida while I'm in Mexico, <laughs> so yeah, peace. <laughs> Um, you know, I, I think we kind of have this thing where every human desires peace. God created us to experience peace. Every generation, every demographic, every ethnicity, we long for internal and external peace. I mean, we're inundated by Christmas stories in this season, right? There's movies that when you turn on the TV or you're streaming, right, it's just flooded with all these Christmas stories of people in search for peace. So you have Buddy the Elf that is looking and searching for peace in family. You've got the Grinch that is searching for peace through revenge. You've got Ralphie who's searching for peace by a, finding and getting a gift of a, of a Red Ryder BB gun. I mean, we, we, these stories are just thrown at us because we, we want to find peace in something. Whether it is a gift or revenge or family. And the world offers us peace through escapism. Escapism. So that could be drugs and alcohol and immoral relationships. But, but also consistent entertainment, endless scrolling, whether it's through news articles or social media, and right, we're, we're searching for something that brings us some sort of satisfaction, some sort of peace as we're scrolling through uh, diets and home design and parenting techniques and other people's fails, I don't know if you get caught up on that, but like as you're scrolling, you, you start seeing, you know, someone's like walking out of their house and it's cold and we're here in Florida and we don't know what that's like. And so someone's like walking out on their porch and they slip and fall down the stairs because it's icy. And, and then all of a sudden you watch the next video and the next video and the next video. We just, we're enamored by this stuff. We're caught into it. We're, we're sucked into it. But what really hinders our peace there's a lot. I think, I think there's a very exhaustive list. But, but here's, here's some stuff. Unmet expectations. Fear of the unknown. Us misunderstanding our identity. Living in the past. Man, there are so many people that surround my life that are so caught up in what happened. That it just destroys their peace. Opposition, obstacles, and doubting God. But God makes a promise to his children. Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come to me. This is Jesus speaking. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. That is a promise 
from the king to his children. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. Paul says in Philippians 4, 6, and 7, do not be anxious about anything. Anyone here struggle a little bit with anxiety? Doubt? Control? Just me. Okay. All right. Only one in the building. Sounds good. Come to me. Or do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Jesus Christ. This week is our fourth week of Advent. Advent is this season of preparing and waiting for the coming of our Lord and Savior. As we remember the birth of Jesus, that's what we're celebrating. And, and I love that, that we, um, as a culture, there's, I feel like this year there's been a little bit of a shift where in previous years I feel like, like our culture has tried to like kind of remove Jesus from Christmas, but now all of a sudden like I feel like maybe God is doing something. Because we have tried to fill ourselves with stuff and we're still left empty. And so we're walking through SeaWorld and there's songs about Jesus playing over the loudspeaker. And we're going through Disney and there's a a show about the birth of the Savior King, Jesus. And you're going, okay, like all is not lost because we're searching for peace. We desire peace. And we're trying to find it everywhere we can except the one place we actually can find it. And that's at the feet of Jesus. And so our theme, through all the trials and all the pain and all the uncertainty, we wait upon the Lord with peace. So last week, we talked about how God is always with his children. So we looked at the story of a man named Joseph. And so this is a historical story of a man named Joseph whose great-grandfather was Abraham. And God promised Abraham that he was going to make him a child, or was going to make him a, a father of many nations. But he didn't have any kids. And then in his old age, at 99, he has a son, and his name is Isaac. Isaac has two sons, Jacob and Esau. Jacob has this encounter with God where God changes his name, his identity, and names him Israel. Israel has 12 sons, one of which, the youngest son, was the favorite, and the older brothers didn't like him, so sells him into slavery. And I know I'm going through this fast, but I'm just just kind of a genealogy of where we're headed today. Sells him into slavery and ships him off into Egypt. But God does that for a purpose. The purpose was, is to raise that boy, Joseph, up, to put him in a position so that when a famine hit the land and the Israelites, God's chosen people, entered into this famine, they could go and find refuge at their younger brother who they had sold into slavery and he saves his whole family. So now he moves his family from where they were to Egypt And he cares and protects him. And their lineage grows. The Israelites grow. And they grow into a nation. A ton of people. But guess what happens? The Egyptians see the Israelites and think, man, their numbers are getting too big. Like if they continue to grow at the pace they are growing, God's people are a people that should be fruitful and multiply. And in this church, I think we see that, right? We got all these little kids running around, all these pregnant women around, um, right? So the the, the Israelites are, are growing 
And the Egyptians go, hmm, they're going to try to take us over. They're going to try to take our land from us. And so you know what we're going to do? We're going to put them into slavery. Uh-oh. So they capture the Israelites and enslave them. Not for four years. Not for 40 years. For over 400 years. The Israelites are now enslaved by the Egyptians. And God sends a man named Moses. Moses was not a perfect man. He was not this like religious guy who was perfect. In fact, he actually murdered somebody. But God uses broken people to do big things. And so he sends Moses. Moses is not an eloquent communicator. He cannot command the platform, but he sends Moses to go speak in front of Pharaoh to say, let my people go. And so he goes back to the kingdom. A part of the story maybe that I left out so we can understand the context here is that when Moses was a little boy, God saved him and protected him. Um, And actually he ended up being, he was an Israelite that was adopted by the Egyptian princess. So he had lived in the temple. So that's actually why he was allowed to just kind of waltz in and talk to the Pharaoh to begin with because he was actually part of that family, adopted into it, even though he was an Israelite. And so he goes and stands before Pharaoh, which is someone that potentially he could have grown up with and known. And he says, hey, I need you to let my people go. Let the Israelites go. You know what Pharaoh says? No. And so God starts sending these plagues. One plague, another plague, Another plague. And every time, Pharaoh says, no, no, uh-uh, nope. And then, God sends the angel of death. This angel of death is going to go through and kill all the firstborn sons unless a lamb was sacrificed and the blood was going to be painted over the doorposts. And then the angel of death would pass over that house because he would know that he was of the people of God. And sure enough, Pharaoh's son dies because he didn't think that this was really going to happen, didn't think it was true. And so Pharaoh gets broken, hurt, upset, and lets him go. So the Israelites start packing up. After 400, over 400 years of living in Egypt, start packing up, and God is going to bring them from where they are to what he called the promised land. And so they get their things. They actually even take some of the things that they had there that weren't, it was just, they took a bunch of stuff with them. They took gold, they took uh, cattle, they took um, supplies and food. They kind of plunder the land that they're in and they take off. And now they are headed out into what's called the wilderness, kind of a deserty area to journey into the promised land. And God says to Moses, I want you to take them down this path towards the Red Sea. And that's where we're going to pick up. Exodus chapter 14. So if you have a Bible, I want you to grab it. I want you to hold the Word of God in your hand. Um, if you don't have a Bible, there's some Bibles on racks on either side. Um, there's also a great app called the Version Bible app. You can uh, pick it up, have it on your phone. So picture a very, very large group of people, men, women, and children... Um, with cattle and belongings and, and all sorts of stuff 
trying to trek through a deserty area. They didn't have paved roads at the time. So they're just kind of walking through the land, going towards the promised land. Exodus 14, verse 1. Then the Lord says to Moses, now God is leading them through this wilderness with a, a cloud, like a pillar that is like a cloud in the day, and at nighttime, a pillar of fire. He's, he's guiding them to where he wants them. Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell the people of Israel to turn back and encamp in front of phi between Migdal and the sea, in front of Baal-Zaphon. You shall encamp facing it by the sea. For Pharaoh will say to his people, will say of the people of Israel, they are wandering in the land. The wilderness has shut them in. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart. And he will pursue them. And I will get the glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. And they did so. God tells them to do something. They obey. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, the mind of Pharaoh and his service was changed toward the people. Now at this point, Pharaoh's mourning the loss of his son. He lets the people go. He agrees to it. They take off. So there's some time that has elapsed. And now all of a sudden, Pharaoh begins to get really upset and angry. And now he's like, no, we're not going to let them go. Like, we're going to get them back. And they said, what is it that we have done? That we had let Israel go from serving us. He had made ready his chariot and took his army with him and took 600 chosen chariots and all the other chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, the Pharaoh king of Egypt, and he pursued the people of Israel while the people of Israel were going out defiantly. And the Egyptians pursued them, all of Pharaoh's horses and chariots and all of his horsemen and his army, and overtook them and camped at the sea. So here's the scenario that we're walking into. We're talking about waiting upon the Lord with peace, and, and we're looking at this, and, and here's something that we see, and this is what we've seen over the last three weeks. Over the last few weeks, we've seen through, through the word of God that God's salvation always looks different than we think it should. I'm going to say that again. God's salvation always looks different than we think it should. And God doesn't always pick the easy path for us. Does anybody like the easy path? I know I do. But he doesn't always pick the easy path for us. And God is always with his children. And he is working everything for our good and his glory. And his love is unconditional. Even in seasons when we don't feel like it. Even in seasons where our circumstances seem like they're against us. So just to dive into this story, I want to frame it like this. We wait upon the Lord with peace because God overcomes opposition. We wait upon the Lord with peace because God overcomes opposition. I want you to put yourselves in, in their shoes right now, or sandals, I guess. Maybe bare feet, who knows. They were going in one direction, and God says, no, I want you to turn and go a different direction. Now you are sitting by the beach. You're in front of the sea. you got this beautiful landscape in front of you. Then all of a sudden you turn around because you hear a noise and you see this army coming after you. You don't have a whole lot of weapons and battle horses and chariots. You're a people that have been oppressed for 400 and something years. You have been worked 
down to the bone and you are hurting and broken and you're lost and you feel like a nomad. Anybody feel like they're in that season right now? And, and all of a sudden, this army is coming after you. The army was bigger. The army was stronger. And their backs were against a sea. Like their scenario was not optimal. And so there's this physical opposition that they are facing, the Egyptians. But then there's also this spiritual opposition that they're facing. I want you to think about this. For 400 years, now they were supposed to believe in God alone as their Lord and Savior. That God was their king, that they were to serve God alone, no other idols. So that was, that was what God had placed before them. I am the Lord your God. You shall have no other gods. That's what God placed before them. Yet, they were inundated for over 400 years by the Egyptians' beliefs, by the Egyptians' gods. And so now, all of a sudden, their, their faith is compromised because they're waiting upon the Lord to save them and relieve them and bring them to safety, yet they're enslaved. And then they see the Egyptians thriving. And by watching the Egyptians thrive, they're going, hey, maybe we're believing the wrong thing. Maybe we should be believing in the gods of the Egyptians, because if we believe in the gods of the Egyptians, then maybe they'll save us. And so now their faith in God alone is compromised. And they start to intermingle the idols that the Egyptians worshipped with their God. And so now all of a sudden there's this crisis of belief. What do we believe? And so now they're in the wilderness and their back's up against the sea and this army's coming at them and they're going, what do I believe? I'm in a season of crisis. And, and I know that God has said, believe in him alone, he is our salvation. I, I saw the, the plagues that he brought and I saw his power there. At the same time, they've got chariots and they've got weapons and they've got prosperity. And so... Which one, like, maybe we got this wrong. Maybe we're following the wrong God. Maybe we're going down the wrong path. Maybe we should throw the white flag and go back to Egypt because they've got all the stuff. And at least there, we were safe. At least we're not gonna be killed by the chariots. Right? We, have no, we have nowhere to go. Like, there's a sea, we're kind of, like enclosed by this land, and, and what are we going to do? Facing this physical opposition, but also this spiritual. And then we wait upon the Lord with peace because God overcomes obstacles. Now let's look at this. Look at verse 2 again. God says, tell the people of Israel to turn back and encamp in, in, in between some areas where if you kind of look at it on a map, it almost like juts out like a little peninsula. So there's really nowhere to go other than through the water, especially when there's an army that's blocking the way that you are to go. The only way out. But God sent them there. And then look at verse 12. Uh, we'll start in verse 10. When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes. 
And behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord, and they said to Moses, Is it because there were no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die here in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is it not what we have said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians, for it would be better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. They're facing these obstacles. They began to magnify their problem over their God. They began to magnify their circumstances over their God. They just watched those plagues. They saw what God could do. But in the moment, there's a crisis of belief. When the sea uproars and and takes out your home, like the hurricane did, or when a plague or or a plague, (laughs) a pandemic hits. We don't know what to do because the stock market has taken away all of our savings and and our home values are all over the map, and we don't know what to do and where to go and how to go, and I can't rent anything because it's too expensive, right? We, we, we start having these crises of belief because of these obstacles, but we begin to magnify the problem over the creator of all things. We will all face a Red Sea in our life. And that's my Christmas message. There you go. I'm going to write that in your Christmas card. We, we will all face a Red Sea. Moments in life where it seems like an army is bearing down on us. Whether it's finances, hurricane recovery, marriage problems, broken relationships. Maybe it's family broken relationships, friend broken relationships, significant other broken relationships. Maybe it's dating, feeling alone, parenting, or trying to figure out a search for your identity and who am I and why was I created and what is all this for? And so these obstacles then lead to doubt. That's what we see in in verse 11 and 12. They say to Moses, is it because there's no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness to be slaves than to come out here and die. And so they're, they're doubting. I wish I was back in Egypt. God, you only did this. You only brought us here to have us die. I, I, I do think that people have a distorted view of God. Like he's out to get us or something. Like he's sitting up in this place where he's just laughing at us when we fail and when we fall. We have to understand that God's heart breaks at our pain. When we are experiencing hurt and pain and brokenness and abuse, God's heart breaks for us. But remember, it is because of our sin that we experience those things. God created a perfect garden for us, placed us in it, 
And we sinned. We caused the destruction with our sin of the brokenness of the Garden of Eden. And then over and over again, we see it throughout all, this whole book, as well as each and every one of our lives, if we were honest, that, that we are screwing it up, and then God is redeeming us. And then we're screwing it up again, and God is re- redeeming us. You see this pattern all throughout Scripture, where the people of God fall to their knees in moments of brokenness and pain and hurt, God comes, he saves them, raises them back up, gives them a season where they are experiencing prosperity, and in their prosperity, they start to worship the prosperity over their God, and then they fall. They start to do the things that God says will not bring you life, that will only bring you destruction. They do those things, then they fall. And then what do they do when they fall? When they experience all the brokenness and the hurt and the pain? God, where are you? Help. God comes, he helps, he raises them back up. They start to experience a season of prosperity and goodness and fruitfulness. And then what do they do? They start worshiping the creation rather than the creator. And then they fall. And there is this crazy cycle over and over again. Look at your own life. Seasons where things were going really, really well. And then you made some really bad choices. You started compromising what you know was for your good. Do you pray more in seasons of hurt and pain and turmoil or seasons of prosperity? Do we find ourselves on our knees when things are going really, really well? No, in the seasons where things are, go, are, are going really well, we actually tend to just forget that God's there. Hey, God, things are going well. Thanks. I'm going to do my own thing over here. And then, you know, when, when things get messed up, oh, God, help. We play this game for some reason. And we then blame God for it. <laughs> then we're like, God, what are you doing? God overcomes our opposition. He overcomes obstacles. He overcomes our doubt. We are just a collection of complainers. We want cushy lives of health, wealth, and happiness aside from his lordship. And I know that you're sitting here and you're just like, that seems heavy. Well, all I'm saying is that's my life. Like, if I just really take an account for like my own life and I look myself in the mirror I can see this often where when opposition hits and I start to face obstacles, I begin to doubt God. Are you really there? Are are you really for me? Like, are you really listening, God? And to all of these things, we must listen to the word of the Lord. Look at verses 13 and 14 here. There's a certain... Uh, Exodus 14, verses 13 and 14. This is what he says. Fear not. Stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord. Fear not. Stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. The Lord will fight for you, and you only have to be silent. Why? Because the Lord overcomes our opposition. He overcomes our obstacles and he overcomes our doubt by the sending of a baby. 
Remember earlier when I said that, that God does things in ways that we were not expecting? Like if it were me and I had to plan out this whole salvation plan, like I probably would have sent a warrior, a guy that was like jacked and ripped and was gonna come in and overthrow the government and like take on the world. Kind of a Superman type character. But God's plan is different. It's not only different in the person of Jesus, it's different in your life than what you're gonna expect. Notice that God led them to this place. He knew it wouldn't be easy, but he was with them. In fact, when we conjure up this picture of peace in our hearts and in our minds, it, it, it's all sorts of things come to mind. There was a, a competition that was held for these painters, and they wanted to find a painting that represented peace. So all of these painters came and brought their mind of what peace looked like. And there were some beautiful paintings in that collection. And one after another, there were these sunset pictures and these, these beach pictures and these mountain pictures of, of just these serene landscapes that you just look at and you just go, ah. And then one of the last pictures uncovered was this one. A picture that has lightning and a storm in the background and these thundering waterfalls. And, and if you could really see the details of this picture, you see the, the, the wind must be just howling through this cavern. And in the middle of the picture, if you zoom in really close, you see a picture of a bird nestled in the cliff, sitting on her eggs, unaffected by the storm that surrounds her. Often, we have such a finite view of life in the world that when the storms hit and the water's roaring, that's all we see. But God in scripture over and over again is called a mighty fortress, the rock of our salvation. And he calls us to trust in him and him alone because he is our salvation. He is our hope. He is our love. He is our joy and he is our peace. And it doesn't mean that the storms go away. And it doesn't mean that the waters stop roaring. But he is a secure foundation, David says. And the righteous run into him and they are safe. This is the picture that won for a symbol of peace. Because the only one that represents the reality of this life it will be hard. We will experience loss, pain, hurt, rejection, abuse. But God is for us. And the Bible says if God is for us, who can be against us? But there's a call. There's an invitation to stand firm, to fear not, and to see the salvation of the Lord. 
and in moments where the storm is, is, is brewing, that's really hard. And we want to shout out, and we want to, we, want to, we, oh, we want to shake our fists. But this is the gospel. When you and I have faced the biggest opposition, when you and I were pinned by our biggest obstacles, when we believed the biggest doubts because of life's circumstances, that's when Jesus came and met you. Because the Bible says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While you were an enemy of God, Christ died for you. And I know that there are many people in this room today that are hearing these words and they're going, yeah, but you don't know what I'm going through. And to that I say, correct, I don't, but God does. God, in his sovereign purpose, has led you to where you are. And he is with you in that. He didn't leave the Israelites when they're pinned up against the sea. And in fact, what we see in the story is the Israelites are encamped and, and the, the, the army is, is bearing down on them. The sea is behind them. And God takes that cloud that was leading them and covers them so that the Egyptians could not proceed anymore. And then he opens up the sea. I'm not talking about like a shot across the Kaluchihatchee River here. Like this is a long trek. Something that some scholars would say might have even taken the amount of people days to get across the sea. And he opens up the sea. A story in history this isn't just like a, a, a fable. This is a story in history that scholars and historians and scientists have tried to explain for hundreds of years, even in our modern enlightened technology. Well, maybe the wind was blowing at just the right speed and the tide was just at the right level. Oh, and there's a land bridge under the... The Lord parts the biggest obstacle that they thought that they were facing, covers them, allows them to walk across on dry land. And then in his sovereignty decides, I'm going to release that cloud. So the Egyptians start coming. Why? Because I am going to show and prove to my people that I am God. This wasn't the last obstacle that they were going to face. This wasn't the last opposition they were going to face. This wasn't going to be their last doubt. But our God will continue to prove himself over and over again so that we may believe. He gives us opportunities in our lives so that we may repent and believe, repent and believe. And when we're in it, it's hard. When we're in it, we see the storms and we feel the rushing waters. But God says, fear not. Stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord. God desires for you to trust in him with your whole heart in all circumstances, no matter how big it may seem. He wants you to fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord. Can I pray for us? Jesus, thank you. Thank you for this story that you allowed the Israelites to go through this 
and that it was able to be recorded and preserved for thousands of years so that we now can read it and hear of that story and then look at our own lives and see the correlations between what they experienced and what we are experiencing today in a community, in a culture where, where it seems as though, Lord, that there's an army maybe bearing down on us through uh, media and through politics and through life and through pandemics and through hurricanes and we're facing these obstacles and we're struggling with broken relationships and loss and pain and hurt. You are saying to us right now in this very moment, be silent because I'm about to do something more than you could ever ask, think, or imagine. You are reminding us in this very moment that you are for us, that you are with us, that you love us. We only need to fear not and stand firm and see and watch your good salvation. And I thank you, Lord, that in a few short days we get to remember the birth of Jesus who came to live a life that we could never live, one that is perfect, and then be nailed to the cross as a sacrifice to cover our sin. And then, after three days in the tomb, he rose again. God, thank you for that child being born. Because ultimately, he is our salvation. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And we can fight against that. But God, in your love and in your mercy and your grace, you still walk with us. And when we yell out our doubts, when we yell out our oppositions, you are there with your arms wrapped around us, holding us, saying, fear not, like a good dad, fear not. Stand firm. Watch. Because I'm going to make all things new. We love you. We lift this up in your name. Amen.